Hello and welcome to The Trail Podcast. My name is Matthew Wordnam and I'm a physiotherapist working alongside The Trail team here in Melbourne. Our guest on this week's episode of the podcast is Dr. Daniel Bonanno. Daniel is a senior lecturer in the discipline of podiatry at La Trobe University and has more than 15 years of clinical, research and teaching experience. In addition to his involvement at the university, Dan works as the podiatrist for Carlton and Melbourne City Football Clubs. Dan's current research interests include the biomechanic effect and clinical effectiveness of foot orthoses and footwear, walking and running biomechanics, and the prevention and management of lower limb injuries. Dan is also an Associate Editor-in-Chief at the Journal of Foot and Ankle Research. So, without further delay, Dan, welcome to the Trail Podcast. Thanks for having me, Matthew. It's a pleasure to be here today. Dan, you were recently involved in a systematic review that investigated the benefit and the risk of changing foot strike pattern. The primary outcomes of this research looked at running injury and running economy. Could you talk about how both of these outcomes were defined? And for those who may not be familiar, could you please describe what you mean by running economy? We'll start with the definition of injury. One real concern when pooling data from a series of studies with respect to injury is the inconsistent definition of injury across a lot of studies. So a lot of the time, a research paper will call an injury the presence of pain, and maybe that pain has to be over a certain threshold. Other papers will consider an injury when it impacts on training, and it might have to have a certain level of severity or a certain amount of training needs to be missed for it to be categorised as an injury. So with respect to the review that we're talking about today, we included any definition of injury. So we left it to the authors of the papers to decide what they thought was an appropriate definition of an injury in their population of interest. And as it turned out, we only ended up including one paper that investigated injury and its association with foot strike. And they included basically the presence of pain or an injury that had been diagnosed by a team physician. And to put that into context, the study included NCAA Division one track and field athletes. So they had a physician on, on the team. So they were able to have a consistent diagnostic protocol that they followed in that study. With regard to running economy, I'm not an exercise physiologist, so we'll just go with the straight out definition that we used. And that was that it was the steady state of oxygen consumption when running at a constant submaximal speed. So to put that into simpler language, it's really how much oxygen were the runners consuming when running at a set speed. Because we're looking at long distance runners, they were all running at submaximal speed, so that wasn't really a concern for us. So really, how much oxygen are they using to run at a set speed? Fantastic. Now, other than speed, what factors play a role in running economy and why is it considered to be so important? There's actually a lot of factors that can impact running economy. And I guess the ones that we should really focus on are the ones that most runners can change themselves or have an influence on. And doing some regular training and just doing training regularly, and we're talking about running today. So running regularly can improve someone's running economy. Doing some heavy resistance strength training can improve running economy. 
And it'd be remiss of me as a podiatrist not to talk about footwear. If you wear a heavier shoe, that will have a negative effect on your running economy. So if you have the option between a lighter shoe or a heavier shoe, if you're trying to improve your running economy, then you'd opt for the lighter shoe. And of course, in relation to this review, uh, changing your running technique will have an effect on running economy. To pick up on that second part of that question, which is why is it important? Well, runners with better running economy will use less oxygen when running at the same speed as, say, a runner with an inferior running economy. So, therefore, improved running economy has been shown to be quite predictive of endurance running performance. So that's why it's important to runners who have a particular interest in running faster or performing better. But it may not be an important question for people who just enjoy running to keep healthy and fit and to do it as a social outlet, for example. Now that we have an understanding of the primary outcomes that you looked at in this research, what were the findings of the study? Our primary outcomes were injury and running economy, as we've touched on. So with respect to injury, we only got to include one study, which I alluded to earlier, and it was a high-quality study. It was a retrospective study that looked at some really high-level collegiate track and field athletes, and they followed these runners over a season, and they were recording their injuries anyway. So they've basically retrospectively gone in, looked at the injury data, and then also broke the runners down into rear foot strikers, midfoot strikers, and forefoot strikers. And what they found is runners with a rear foot strike were two times more likely to get injured compared to those that had a midfoot and forefoot strike. So that in itself is quite an interesting finding. Um, it's important to note that these were habitual rear foot strikers and habitual midfoot and forefoot strikers, so they hadn't been converted. And that's really the only injury data that we can look at at the moment to determine whether foot strike has a relationship with injury. There's been some studies that have looked at the conversion of foot strike in runners with patellofemoral pain and exertional lower leg pain, but they were excluded from our review because the patellofemoral studies had sample sizes that were too small. Uh, they had under 10 people. And the two studies that looked at exertional lower leg pain, they included other gait retraining cues like shorter, faster steps. So they're sort of manipulating cadence and foot strike and a few other cues as well. So in a nutshell, there's been no prospective studies on injury. There's only been one retrospective study that found that using a non-rear foot strike had a lower rate of injury compared to rear foot strikers. If we move on to the running economy study, there's been five. And what we found, which was sort of contrary to what we're kind of expecting, is that there was no difference in running economy between habitual rear foot strikers and habitual non-rear foot strikers. And when a rear foot striker was converted to a forefoot strike, we found that their running economy actually got worse. So they're consuming more oxygen to run at the same speed once they had converted their strike. So that, that in itself is an important finding because one reason why people would consider converting to a forefoot strike is to, on the premise of performing better and running faster, yet the data suggests the contrary, that immediately there's going to be a reduction in running economy and the trouble is no one's really looked at what happens over a longer period of time. So we've only got data for the immediate effects of changing someone's foot strike pattern on running economy. There's some real gaps in the research at the moment. So there's some, there's some projects that are screaming out to be done. One is a prospective study 
looking at the differences between habitual forefoot strikers and rearfoot strikers. I think another gap is, can you reduce the risk of injury if you were to convert someone's strike pattern, again, longitudinal and prospective, and possibly a randomised trial? And then we need to really look at people who have an injury and then conduct a clinical trial where they will, one group will convert their strike pattern, the other will not. Uh, and there's some obvious gaps in the science at the moment. Our review included over 50 studies, yet very few are focused on injury. And as a podiatrist and, and you as a physio and any health professional, one of the reasons why we would consider changing a foot strike is to change the risk of injury or manage injury. And there's not much that's been done in that area. So there's more work to be done for sure. Definitely, definitely. A recreational runner comes to see you in clinical practice or at one of the football clubs and is interested in changing their strike pattern. Based on the findings of this study and your clinical experience as a podiatrist, what advice would you give the runner or the athlete about the benefits and the risk of doing this? With any patient, it's really about trying to work out what are their goals for changing their strike pattern. So the first thing I'd sit down and say, well, why are you considering doing this? Or why am I, why am I doing this? And trying to ask the question of myself, what are our objectives? So if it's around trying to prevent injury, then there's no known benefits to changing strike pattern. So in that case, I would not recommend changing strike pattern for an uninjured runner. Likewise, if their motivation is to improve running performance, then I draw upon this research and say, at this stage, if anything, it's going to have a negative effect on your running economy in the short term, and we don't really know what's going to happen in the medium to longer term. So again, there's no real science to back that change. Where I would consider converting someone's strike pattern would be if I'm treating an injury. So I alluded to the fact that there's been some studies that have looked at conversion of strike pattern to a forefoot strike in those with patellofemoral pain and exertional uh, lower leg pain. And all those studies saw benefits in the reduction of pain. So there's some promising data there. Admittedly, they're not clinical trials and they have small samples. So we can use that, but we can also use some of the biomechanical data from our review to say we know, because there have been so many studies, nearly 50 have looked at the biomechanical changes of converting foot strike. We know that if we convert someone's foot strike, we're going to load tissues differently. And to keep it really simple, if someone were to convert to a forefoot strike, what we typically saw is a reduction in load at the knee, but we saw an increase in load at the calf, ankle, and foot. So if I had a patient who had a knee problem, then I'd be quite comfortable in discussing with them the benefits of converting to a forefoot strike, but I'd also have to be aware as a clinician that I'm going to be loading up the calf, ankle, and foot more so I have to be mindful, can those tissues tolerate an increase in load whilst trying to reduce stress at the knee? I don't want to make this about me, but I myself have a chronic knee problem and I've converted my strike pattern to a forefoot strike and that allows me to keep running, but it puts more stress on my calf, ankle and foot. But I did that knowing that by not converting my foot strike pattern, I couldn't run anymore. So it was worth the conversion. I changed and transitioned gradually and yeah, I'm happy to say I've been running for the last 12 months and I'm able to do so whilst managing my knee pain. It's not perfect, but it allows me to run, whereas I wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. Fantastic. Now, that segues perfectly into our final question. 
Dan, before we let you go, could you please leave our listeners with three tips to manage their capacity to run? So I think the most important part of building capacity to run is to have a really solid and safe training program. And it's really important that if we're making changes to our training or if you're starting to run, that we make those changes gradually to give the body a chance to adapt to change. So a lot of people traditionally look at running distance and we'll build that up gradually. I prefer looking at running time and running intensity, but that's probably for another podcast. But looking at any changes that someone were to make to the training program, that those changes are gradual. I also, as part of training, like to recommend that people mix it up a little bit so that they're not always running in the same shoes on the same track the same distance. So they might run a shorter run, a slightly longer run. They might mix up asphalt running with some trail running. They might mix up a trail shoe with a traditional running shoe, just so that we're loading tissue differently with each run. But again, any change that you make needs to be gradual. So I think training is an important part of building running capacity. Second point, and I, I think I'm starting to believe this more and more as I get older, is that we need to listen to our body and you know if we are feeling sore and we've got a long run planned that we don't necessarily have to do the long run as we had initially planned if we're feeling sore or we have a bit of a niggle or we're feeling fatigued because we've had a big day at work or whatever it might be so listening to our body making sure that we're, we're sleeping well we're eating well and not being afraid to adjust your training load from week to week if your body feels like it's going to benefit from it and of course, being a podiatrist, I touched on this earlier, we'll talk about shoes, just making sure that shoes are comfortable, that runners would consider potentially rotating different shoes throughout the week, again, to load different parts of the body differently with each run. And if you are introducing a totally new shoe to you, so for example, if someone has traditionally been wearing a typical running shoe or a traditional running shoe, if they're going to switch to a maximus shoe or a minimalist shoe or a shoe with a different stack height, drop height, that they introduce that shoe gradually into the mix. So I guess in summary, make small changes, introduce them gradually, and most importantly, have fun with your running and run safe. Dr. Bonanno, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Trail Podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with us today. My pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed the podcast, please feel free to share it with family and friends with or without knee pain. If you're interested in learning more, head to the Latrobe Sport and Exercise Medicine Research Centre's Twitter account at Latrobe SEM. You can also find us on Facebook at Latrobe SEMRC. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you again for the next instalment of the Trail Podcast.